I got three full pages of notes tonight, so uh, I'm going to try to get through all this quickly yet clear, clearly and poignantly. But before uh, we really get into it, I just want to let you know that tonight we're talking about power. And when we gathered on Tuesday night, Tuesday morning, to talk about what is powerful and what are some creative examples of, of power in our lives or in nature or in the world, we started talking about sharks and, you know, getting on a boat. And we we're like, why go, why go to Miami and get on a boat when we have one of the most powerful animals in the world right here in our backyard? So here's a short video of an excursion that Daniel and I took yesterday. Enjoy. When it comes to power, there are all kinds of examples in nature. Daniel and I decided to take a trip to Gatorland to see some power in its most primitive form. We had both been to Gatorland before, so we knew the typical view of wildlife was through the safety of a fence. And if you got face to face with an alligator, it was no more than a couple feet long and was constrained with electrical tape around its mouth. But Daniel and I were about to get closer than we had ever been before. Maybe even a little too close for comfort. Our guide, Michael, started by reminding us of just how much power these gators have in them. If you're looking at the muscle structure of an alligator under a microscope, you're gonna see that they have five times myofascist material that you or I as a person have, which makes them five times stronger than any person if they had the same size muscle. We finally arrived at our first alligator encounter. It was with a pretty active 10-year-old male named Pearl. But today, we were going beyond the glass and into his turf. But it was pretty easy to feed him once he was subdued. And next, we were off to Pearl's larger and perhaps more hungry friend. And then onto the granddaddy of them all, Chester. This 13-foot alligator was brought to Gatorland from Tampa after disturbing some neighborhood pets. Smile, Chester. And Chester liked to hiss. We thought maybe our excursion was over after that, but our guide, Michael, was just getting started. Now that we had faced these gators in their pens, it was time to find some in a more wild habitat. Michael's kind of an expert at gator calling, so he got a group up near the shoreline and we fed them from there. <laughs> but the gators just kept getting bigger and we kept getting closer. It was time to feed the top male of the brood, Buster. But even still, there was one more surprise, and this one was perhaps the most treacherous of them all. It was time to get in the pen and on top of a feisty alligator. 
One of Michael's co-workers caught a gator and showed us how it was done. And then it was my turn. It's one thing to be on the back of an alligator when its mouth is taped shut, but it's another thing altogether when the tape comes off and the power is unleashed. Yeah, you signed the waiver. You're over 18, right? <laughs> so talk to me about the power of this jaw. Here. That would take your arm off. Yeah. That has enough power in a bite right now to remove an arm. If he bit and started to shake and twist around, we're talking... 1,400 pounds per score inch and about 150, 160 pound alligator behind it. Overall, I'd say we had a pretty great day at Gatorland, encountering some raw power in the form of hungry alligators. Thanks, Gatorland. Yes. Yes, thank you. Well, yeah. It was actually a really awesome Saturday morning. I wish I could do that more often. Um, so power, that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And, um, you know, like alligators, uh, all of us have some power, but that's the end of the metaphor. I'm not going to try to justify it. We just wanted to go have fun and sit on the back of some alligators. So there it is. Um, but I'm going to just kind of lay it out, and I'm going to say a lot of stuff. So I would love um, for you, if you have a phone or something, you want to take some notes. We'd love for you to take some notes tonight as we talk about, think about power. We've been going through this colony series, and the whole thing that we've been thinking about with colony is like, how are we interacting with the world around us in a way that's transforming the world? And a lot of that comes back to this idea of power. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to talk about tonight. I'm going to talk about three types of power. I'm going to talk about stewarding power. And then I'm going to talk about the focus of power. And we're just going to kind of go through those three beats, three types of power, ways to steward power, and then how we focus power for it to be effective. And all that is around this idea. Let's embrace our power in a healthy way so we can begin to steward it for the good of others. And I think when it comes to this word power, maybe in our psyche, uh, we think about the abuse of power immediately, and we kind of have maybe a negative connotation of power. But in order for us to actually live out the things that we've been talking about in this colony series, we need to understand that power is a gift, and that if we steward it well, we end up interacting with the world in a way that truly is transformative. And... Um, you know, I've been thinking about this kind of really specifically in, in my own life. Um, and I, I got a call from a friend a couple weeks ago. And he said, hey, we're like sharing this list together. Like you and I are on it. And it has to do with like 15 emerging leaders in Orlando. And, and honestly, like in the midst of that conversation, it kind of 
gave me the opportunity to begin clearly assessing the power that I have in my own life in many ways, and then how to steward that well and like how to live in it responsibly. But the truth is that all of us have the opportunity to recognize and embrace whatever power it is that God has opened up in our lives. And as we go through these things tonight, we're going to look at the life of Joseph. So uh, the life of Joseph is outlined in the book of Genesis. And I'm just going to give you some kind of quick bullet points to remind you of maybe some of the stories that you've heard of Joseph's life. So Joseph uh, was born into a large family, and he was, at the time of his birth, which I guess is always true, the youngest son. Um, so that's always the case. If you are the newly born son, you are the youngest. Um, and his, uh, his family showed him a lot of favor, his father specifically. You may have uh, seen the musical Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat uh, that can give you some context for his life. Uh, but when he was 17, he started having these dreams, and there was this dream of these sheaves of wheat who came around a central figure and bowed down to them, and there was another dream with some stars where they were bowing down to a central figure, and so Joseph shared this with his family, and kind of this jealousy raised up in his family, and because they started asking the question, like, are we going to bow down to you one day? Is that what you're implying by communicating these dreams? And um, his brothers grew jealous, and so they plotted to kill him. But one of the brothers said, hey, let's hold off. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery and um, bloody up his, uh, his coat with some animal blood, and we'll take it back to our father, and we'll say that he was attacked and killed by an animal. So Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he ends up in Egypt where he is bought by the captain of the guard, named Potiphar, and Potiphar begins to trust Joseph immensely and continues to give him leadership over his household, and Potiphar's wife is kind of beginning to become attracted to Joseph, and uh, one evening when Potiphar is gone, comes and tries to tempt Joseph into an adulterous affair, and Joseph denies her, and in her pain of being denied, takes his coat, and then tells her husband Potiphar that Joseph tried to come and tempt her. And as a result of that, Joseph is thrown into prison by Potiphar, where later two figures from Pharaoh's house come, the cupbearer and the baker. They had lost favor in the eyes of Pharaoh, and they were put in this prison. And they have dreams, and Joseph begins prophetically interpreting those dreams. Well, later... The cupbearer and the baker regain favor with Pharaoh. They go back into his household, and Pharaoh begins having dreams as well, and no one can interpret them. And it's then that the cupbearer and the baker remember this guy, Joseph, who had been put in prison and was there when they were there and had interpreted their dreams. And so Pharaoh sends for Joseph. He comes, and he interprets the dreams of Pharaoh. And the dream that Pharaoh has had is that there would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And as Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh begins to see Joseph as a man with a lot of favor from God on his life. And so Joseph becomes the, the kind of the manager over all of Egypt. And sure enough, those seven years of plenty come and they store up a bunch of grain and then come the seven years of famine, and people from all over the land come to Joseph 
to have food distributed from the stores that they had taken the, the seven prior years. And in that process, Joseph's brothers show back up. He reconnects with them. He tells them to go get his father. They bring the father back, and the family uh, comes to live together again. And so that is the broad scope of the life of Joseph. And we're going to reference a lot of those moments as we go through this idea of power tonight. So first, I think it's important that we ask the question, so when we're talking about power tonight, what is it that we're talking about? Um, so we'll use this as our working definition tonight. Power is when we've been entrusted with the opportunity to shape someone else's world. It's when we've been given the opportunity to shape someone else's world. You and I, as we talk about these types of power, I'm going to ask us some questions about how we've been entrusted by God and entrusted by others to steward our power to shape the world of the people around us. So that's our working definition for power tonight. And, uh, and so let's talk about first these three types of power that I think are pretty regular in our lives. Three types of power. First, relational. Second, circumstantial. And third, supernatural. So we're going to look at these three types of power, relational, circumstantial, and supernatural. So let's first look at relational power. What does it mean for us to have power that's born out of relationships in our life? We see it many times in the story of Joseph. First, Joseph, Joseph's relationship with his father is a relational uh, connection, a, a relational source of power. And we see that same sort of favor in the eyes of other people, this relational connectivity continuing on as Joseph lives his life. First, in the eyes of Potiphar, Joseph is bought by Potiphar. He's purchased by Potiphar. And as he lives in Potiphar's house, Potiphar begins in that relationship to give Joseph more and more opportunity, more and more power. The same thing happens later when the cupbearer and the baker introduce Joseph to Pharaoh. And in that relationship, Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And we see these opportunities that are coming into Joseph's life for Joseph to exhibit the power that exists inside of him because of his relational connectivity. We see the same thing in the life of Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, uh, a, a verse we may know. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Because of Jesus' relationship with God and Jesus' relationship with people, Jesus had relational power in his life. I know that for me, like so many of the opportunities that I've been given to steward um, opportunities to influence the lives of other people have come as the result of not because how great I am at doing something or how, you know, what, you know whatever the, the things that I think we often think are the matrices for like judgment for power. Usually it's come down to being in relationship with someone else who has some sort of realm of influence who invites me in to that. And I think the same is true probably for most of us. We have relationships in our lives that are sources of power because people are inviting us into their realm of influence. So I want us to pause briefly here and I want you to reflect upon this question. Who has given me their trust? All of us in this room today have the trust of someone and that trust is a source of relational power. So I want us to pause now in quiet and ask this question, who has given me their trust?
And if people come to mind, I just encourage you to write their names down. on because I got, I'm halfway through page one of three, and we have 15 minutes. So, uh, so uh, the first of those types of power, relational, the opportunity that we have to engage with other people. Second, circumstantial, and what we see in the life of Joseph, again, is how he leverages his circumstances for opportunities for power, no matter what those circumstances are. So whether Joseph is in prison or Joseph is in a palace, Joseph is leveraging his circumstances for power. And I love that. We see this breadth of Joseph's circumstances, moments of low and moments of high, and he sees those as equal opportunities to exhibit power as he uh, interacts with other people. And I think this is what we see in the life of Joseph, and I think that this is maybe something that a lot of us have experienced, that truly powerful people find opportunity in every circumstance. We don't dismiss any circumstance, but rather we say, Lord, how are you allowing me to operate in this moment to influence the lives of other people? And I think that there are kind of two ways we can look at this kind of circumstantial power, the, the, the ways we find ourselves in life. First is intrinsic and then chosen. Like there are things that we're born into and there are decisions that we make that, that affect the circumstances of our lives. And so each of us is born into opportunity. It doesn't matter what the circumstances we were born into are. Each of us is born into a specific opportunity, no matter what those circumstances are. Genesis 29.6, I think, is a great example of this for Joseph. Joseph was well-built and handsome. That is Genesis 29.6. There's nothing Joseph could have done for that. That is an intrinsic opportunity for power in the life of Joseph. He had something that he was born into that he had the opportunity to steward. I was born into a middle-class white family in America with access to good and safe schools, and I was born with a passion for art and creativity, and all of those things are circumstances that I was born into that I had no control over. And I have the opportunity to leverage those circumstances for opportunities to influence. And no matter what your circumstances are tonight, you were born into and you exist in the context of intrinsic circumstances that you have the opportunity to see power in the midst of. Powerful thinking, when combined with creativity, sees limited resources as an opportunity rather than a limitation. It's really easy for us to look at our circumstances and say, I am so limited, I don't know how to operate in power in the context of these limitations. But when we ask the Lord to give us divine creativity in the midst of our circumstances, no matter how meager they are, limited resources become an opportunity rather than a limitation. So there are things that we're born into, but there are also choices that we make that lead us into circumstantial power. 
Um, you know, I, I was, I, I was kind of born with this passion for art and music. And I could have allowed that thing to go to the wayside, but I went to school and I studied music and I studied creative writing and I invested my time and a bit of my life into practicing those things. I've made a choice to be here in our city, which means I have a very unique opportunity to interact with the people who also live here. And if I had made a choice to live somewhere else, those chosen, chosen circumstances shape the power that I've chosen into. And even in adversity, we see this in the life of Joseph, even in adversity, the way we respond can lead to moments of power. The choices we make in a moment of adversity give us the opportunity to exhibit the power of God in the lives of the people around us and to the people around us. So even if our circumstances that we choose have led us down a path where we face adversity, the way we respond in those moments give us the opportunity to have influence and power in those moments. All right, let me, I'm going to, I love this. Powerful people are not victims. I was going to skip some things, but I can't. Powerful people are not victims to circumstance. They recognize the power of their choices in the midst of circumstance. Whether those choices are because of something they've done or chosen, or those choices are as the result of something that they had no control over. So in Genesis chapter 29, verse 6, we see that Joseph was well-built and handsome. In the prophetic passage from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2, it says this about Jesus. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And so we see the opposite in Jesus' life. He was not well-built and handsome. He also was not a white man with blonde hair. All right? So when we look at what Jesus was born into, it was different than what Joseph was born into. But Jesus had a choice in the midst of his circumstances. Jesus operated in power, and he could have said, oh God, like I know that you sent me here to be the Messiah, the, the Savior of the world, but you know, Jesus, uh, Joseph looked really good, and so people trusted him, and they liked him, and they wanted to be around him. I don't know. I look in the mirror if they had those, but I guess even if they didn't, I, he would somehow be able to see himself, and I just don't look like I think Joseph looked. Jesus himself had the opportunity to choose into his circumstances and operate in power regardless of whatever he encountered. So here's the second question. What opportunities have I been given? What opportunities have you been given? What are the things that you've been born into that give you a unique opportunity to influence the lives of other people? 30 seconds. Think about it. All right, three types of power, relational, circumstantial, and lastly, supernatural. Joseph had supernatural sensitivity. He had dreams. He was able to interpret dreams. He uh, entered into the life of Potiphar, and there was this supernatural moment in, in that relationship in Genesis 39, verses 3 and 4. When his master, Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care 
everything that he owned. And I love even in this passage, the interplay of almost all of these things. Joseph circumstantially found himself in Potiphar's house. Joseph began building a relationship with Potiphar. And then the Lord, the Lord's favor was coming through Joseph in a supernatural way. And in the relationship between Joseph and Potiphar, we find all of these types of power at work, relational, circumstantial, and supernatural. And then even later on, we see Joseph again interpreting the, the dream of the king that eventually allowed Joseph to save people from a famine. So quickly, I want us to again think about this question. How is God working through me? What are the gifts that he's given you? What are the passions that he's equipped you to live out in the world? What are those gifts and how is he working through you? So think quickly about that question. How is God working through me? third of the way through. I only have six minutes left. Awesome. So we talked about three types of power, relational, circumstantial, and supernatural. Each of us has those opportunities in our lives. Next, I want to talk about what it means for us to steward power, because power becomes powerful when we steward it well. If Joseph would have just sat around and not operated in his power by stewarding it well, if Jesus would have just stayed in the carpenter's wood shop and not gone out and begun to engage in his earthly ministry, if either of them had not stewarded their power well, it would have been ineffective and ultimately unpowerful. And so three ways we can steward power. And again, I just want you to, to ask, how are you exhibiting these things in your life on a regular basis? First way to steward power is consistency. Consistency. Everybody say consistency. 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 See what I'm doing there, right? Repet repetition. All right. Luke 5, 15 and 16. The life of Jesus. The news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. Consistency is key to growing in any area of our life. Consistency is key to relationship. Consistency is key to circumstance. And consistency is key to our supernatural relationship with God, no matter what kind of power we're operating in. Consistency is key in order to steward it well. One of the lessons that I've, that like one of the things, maybe of the three or four things that I learned from college was that consistency is, is essential in ac accomplishing anything. So I took a, write, a lot of creative writing classes in college. And one of the things that every single one of those writing professors would say at some point or multiple point, points during the, the course was that if you want to be a writer, you have to write every day. And there is nothing more important than you writing every day. Um, I'm not really great at that. There have been seasons of my life where I have been really good at it. Um, but I recently downloaded this app. It's called Flow State. 
And what it is, is like you select five, 15, or 30 minutes. And then you have to write like in the app for that amount of time. And if you pause for more than five seconds, it just deletes everything you've written in the last 15 or 30 minutes. And it's so good. It's like, do the thing. Like, let me, little app, help you, Cole, do the thing. And so if we can establish consistent patterns in our lives, we begin stewarding our power well. That's, there's like stirrings about that app, right? Ah, I don't know. Use this flow state, you know? You just got to go with it. All right. Consistency is the first way we can steward power. Two minutes. The second way we can steward power is discipline. Embracing the importance of power develops us into people of discipline beyond the moment. So for me, discipline is all about staying consistent when I don't feel like it. It's staying consistent when I don't feel like it. And that is what discipline is. Jesus had this consistency of relationship with the Father, right? And so when he entered into that garden and he was all alone after his friends had betrayed him and abandoned him and walked away from him and couldn't even stay up with him in the most difficult moments of his life, he was disciplined. As he prayed in that garden, literally bleeding, uh, sweating blood from his forehead, he was disciplined to say, God, not what I want, not what I feel like, but what you want. And he continued to submit himself from a place of discipline. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. There is a state of discipline in stewarding any type of power, that we would be disciplined in our human relationships and our relational power, that the relationships that we have in our life, we would be disciplined in pursuing those people and loving them well and caring for them well. In our relationship with God, that we would exhibit a deep level of discipline, that when we don't feel like being quiet and getting away, we would do it despite how we feel because we know it's what's best. And so we have these ways to steward power, consistency, discipline, and lastly, trustworthiness. Joseph was continually entrusted with power by people. Potiphar gave him power over his household. The Pharaoh gave him power over all of Egypt. And even in that moment when Potiphar's wife lied, the lack of trust that was stirred up in Potiphar, even though it was unjust, is the thing that actually broke that opportunity for power in that environment. And so our ability to be trustworthy people helps us steward power well. All right, last thing. Our power, I'm 57 seconds over, our power becomes a blessing to others. I do, look, podium, lights, microphone, all that can be turned off at any moment. Um, our power becomes a blessing to others and to ourselves when it is focused in the right direction. And this is like the, the lesson that I've been learning. 
in this last season of my life that power becomes a blessing to others and ourselves when it's focused in the right direction. I think most of us have a penchant toward self-centeredness when it comes to our power, that we amass power so that we feel better about ourselves or we amass power to impress other people and our power becomes self-centered. And the reason for that is this, when we don't value ourselves, we leverage power to force others to value us. When we don't value ourselves, we leverage power to force others to value us. I don't know if you've ever been in an environment where there's like the boss who really wants to remind you on a regular basis that he or she is the boss. The root of that is that person feeling insecure in their own power, but needing power to affirm who they are. And so they continually remind everybody else that they're in charge. But when our value, sorry, and when our value is rooted in power, we have to fight to keep it. And so we become combatants with everyone around us because they are a threat to our power, which has become our value. And it just continues to spiral downward and downward because self-centered power is the root of injustice. And so when we are people who are deriving our value by forcing others to see us as valuable by exerting our power over them, we inevitably will oppress other people so that they think that we are valuable, so that we can maintain and withhold our own power. Wealth is a perfect example of this. Wealth is a form of of power. And if you and I live wealth-centered lives financially, if you and I are part of systems that are profit-centered and profit-motivated, uh, profit the end result of that is the oppression of people. But if we can be people who are people-centered, if we can participate in systems that are people-centered, the result is that we together have the opportunity to lift ourselves up and lift those around us up. That's what we've been talking about the last several weeks when we've talked about justice and racism, the need for us internally to oppress other people so that we can elevate ourselves and live a self-centered life of power. But when we make the turn to live a life like Jesus, everything changes, and we move from being self-centered people of power to people who leverage our power to elevate others. Shedding self-centered power begins with reprioritizing power from being an objective to being a tool so that my life isn't pushed in the direction of trying to gain as much power as possible. Rather, I'm continually evaluating, Lord, what are the opportunities and the doors that you're opening before me, not so that I can begin feeling better about myself or use my power to oppress other people, but so that I can begin leveraging my power as a tool to elevate others. And this is where we're going to end tonight. We've talked about those three, uh, three types of power, uh, relational, circumstantial, and supernatural. We've talked about how to steward power, consistency, discipline, and trustworthiness. And this last piece is us saying, all right, Lord, there's all of this power stuff floating around here in the ether. 
How do I be a person who moves from viewing power as a self-centered objective to a tool to be others-focused? Matthew 10, 7, and 8, Jesus has sent the disciples out after empowering them. And he says this, The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. And every bit of that power that Jesus imparted on those disciples was so that they could elevate others through a life of generosity. The same is true in the book of Ephesians. As uh, Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus about spiritual gifts, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work as you and I are empowered with spiritual gifts. It is so that we can turn around and make those gifts others-centered as we build one another up, as we build up his church. Last night I was um, driving in my car. I was on I-4. It was raining really, really hard. And I was going like 35 miles an hour on I-4 in the right lane without my hazards on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, yeah. Um, and uh, sorry for that distraction. Um, and I was listening to this interview. It was this 25-year-old guy. He's a poet, and uh, he was being, he had recently had a, a, po a poem published in the New Yorker magazine, and they have a podcast, and they were interviewing him. And in that interview, they were telling part of his story. He's a 25-year-old with terminal cancer, and he's currently on a tour reading his poems. And there was this, like, s such a poignant moment in the middle of me driving on I-4 with this rain coming down and listening to this interview. And this guy, this 25-year-old poet who's nearing the end of his life, says, you can't be selfish or self-centered or self-pitying when you write a poem. You're serving something else. You're trying to make sure the poem gets into the world safely. And I love that. As I heard this guy who like was evaluating everything that he'd experienced in life and what he wants the last months of his life to be about, it wasn't, I want to write as many poems as I can so that people will remember me or that I can be famous before I die and taste the, the goodness of fame or the perceived goodness of fame. No, it was, I am a conduit. I am a vessel. And I love poetry. And for some reason, I have this way with words. But I recognize even here at the end of my life that I am a vessel to deliver these words to the world, not so that I can be famous, but because these are these things that just have to be birthed into the world. And I've been given this opportunity. And I think that perspective is the dividing line between people who really make it and people who spend their whole lives trying. Because if you and I are spending our whole lives trying to gain power so that we can get people to like us, we're never going to be satisfied. But if we can just recognize that we have opportunities placed before us, and the most powerful thing we can do is to see ourselves as conduit for our circumstances, conduit to deliver whatever it is God wants to deliver to the world around us, then we will find fulfillment. And I hope it's not that we have to be faced with imminent death to become selfless people. 
I hope that we, with the hope of life, the hope that we can reset our lives every six months, the hope that maybe we'll live another 40 or 50 or 60 years or however many years that the Lord allows us to live, that we would spend our lives stewarding the power and the opportunity that he gives us not to build ourselves up, but so that we can elevate others. When we steward our power well, it becomes a tool to elevate others and ourselves into the lives we're created to live. And I'll end with this passage again back in the life of Joseph, chapter 45 from Genesis. Joseph is talking to his brothers who are afraid because they are being found out for all the things that they've done. And Joseph says, don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph's relationships, Joseph's circumstances, Joseph's spiritual power were all leveraged for the service of others. He saved a nation because power wasn't about him. It was about elevating others. It wasn't an objective. It was a tool. So let's stand together. Let's open our hands. Let's close our eyes. Lord, would you give us clarity about the power that exists in and through our lives? Would you show us the circumstances we find ourselves in that are opportunities, not limitations? Would you show us the relationships that we have that are opportunities? to influence the life of someone else? Would you illuminate in us the spiritual gifts that you've given us and the power of the Holy Spirit moving in and through our lives supernaturally? Would you stir up in us a desire for consistency as we see the importance of power to transform the world and manifest kingdom realities? Would you give us discipline to live in power and to steward it well even when we don't feel like it? Would you help us be trustworthy people who make good choices that honor you and others? And would you transform our perspective of power from a self-centered objective that builds us up and that robs from other people and instead as an other, others-focused blessing to the world around us? God, even as we sing these last two songs, Fill us with your power. Fill us. Do something special here. Fill us, God, that we would steward power well.